Well, good afternoon, Redeemer. It is wonderful to gather again as the body of Christ to come together to, to sing God's praises, to, to pray together, and to sit under the preaching of God's Word. And today sees us continue in our study through the Gospel of John. And as we study this incredible book, we are always reading it with this thought that it has been written so that you would believe. From Jesus being baptized to the wedding at Cana, even what we looked at last week with Jesus cleaning out the temple, it has been written so that you would believe. And our passage today is no different. We have an incredible text to consider this afternoon, and we're going to go, things, uh, go about things a little differently than usual. We're just going to walk through the test. I'm going to make some comments and observations, and then we're going to finish our time by looking, and answering, looking at and answering four questions. There are four questions that we're going to finish off with. But before we dive in, before we, we, we begin, let me pray. Father God, thank you for your gift of your word. Lord, thank you that we can gather together, that we can freely open up the scriptures to, to learn about you, to, to be in awe of who you are, Lord to today find out what it means to be born again and how we are born again. Father, I pray that you would be preparing our hearts even now for me to, to preach this text, Lord. Let me do this faithfully in dependence upon you. And Lord, I pray that all of us who are sitting here, either in person or at home, Lord, prepare their hearts to receive the truth of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, we can. This was the slogan that carried Barack Obama's presidential campaign in 2008. Yes, we can. It's the belief that the impossible is possible. And this in many ways is what uh, is something that humans have always in some degree or to, uh, to, in one way or another have prided themselves in. We marvel at our various accomplishments, dating back to the Tower of Babel, wanting to build a tower up to heaven, to even exploring Mars. As people, we find ourselves in awe of those like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, as well as, as, as others who have seemingly accomplished the impossible. And this inspired Wealth beyond comprehension, recognized wherever they go. These are the kind of people who, when they post something to Twitter, financial markets respond. These are the kind of people who, when they speak, the world stops and takes notice. But more than what they've achieved, as more and more of their words and their, their ideals are quoted or published, and not just with them, but many other influential people, there is a, a very similar rhetoric. A sometimes subtle, often not. It's this idea that you are ultimately in control. That you are the one who is in charge. That you are the master of your fate. That you are the captain of your soul. It's the belief that if you want something, then the only one stopping you is you. You have the ability to achieve anything. 
You are destined for greatness. Ultimately, it boils down to you. You have the power to change yourself. You have the power to change the world. It's all about you. But as we will see in our passage this afternoon, when it comes to the most important thing, when it comes to our greatest need, this couldn't be further from the truth. If you haven't already done so, please let me encourage you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 3. And as we're going to be going through this text, there's, there's one thing I want you to have at the back of your minds. It's this. You must be born again. You must be born again. Let's look at verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. We are introduced to Nicodemus. He wasn't just some common person who happened to live in the same town as Jesus. No, he was someone that people would have taken note of during this time. He was part of two key groups in Israel during the time of Jesus. Two groups that were ultimately against Jesus pretty much throughout his entire ministry. The first group was that of the Pharisees the most influential Jewish sect during this time. These were the teachers of the law. And the second group that he was a part of was the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jewish people. So he's a teacher, he's a studier of the law, and he's a leader in the community. I mean, from a worldly perspective, this is a man with wasta, a man with authority, a man that would have been revered among the people. The kind of person who, when he spoke, people would stop and take notice. But it's not just because of who Nicodemus is that this whole thing is significant. It's the way that he comes to Jesus that we should take note of as well. For one thing, this was not really the normal way to go about things. When it came to matters regarding teaching, uh, when it came to matters of the law, to interactions with a rabbi, these types of interactions were usually reserved for the daytime in the temple. Not under the cover of darkness. It wasn't the normal practice to go out at night and discuss these things just because people were taking note of someone. After all, Jesus wasn't the first person who had come onto the scene in, in this region that people were taking notice of and following. There were quite a few people who had popped up claiming to be someone who gained a following. So why Jesus? Why now? There are also two other things to take note of regarding this, this interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus. Coming at night would mean that no one would have been able to see him. Coming in the, there weren't street lights lighting the road. It would have been all been very dark, and unless you had a little lamp with you, you wouldn't really have been able to see your way. For whatever reason, Nicodemus didn't want people to know where he was going and who he was meeting. Another thing that is amazing to take note of as we consider the whole book of John is that Nicodemus coming at night ties in with this theme of darkness and light that we see throughout the gospel. Dark often referred to spiritual darkness and sin. And in many ways, it's showing the spiritual blindness or the spiritual darkness that Nicodemus has, which we will see in a few moments. 
ends his interaction. He acknowledges Jesus, calling him rabbi or teacher. This was a sign of respect. And he follows his statements up with a reasoning behind his address of Jesus as rabbi. We know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, Jesus' fame had, had, had been spreading throughout the region. Not only was there the wedding miracle where he turned water into wine, there were likely many other reports of the things that he was doing throughout that area. And then, of course, as we saw last week, I'm pretty sure there were very few people who would have heard about, who wouldn't have heard about what Jesus did in the temple. That would have caused people to stand up and take notice. That may even been what precipitated this particular interaction. And when Nicodemus makes the statement, he says it in the plural, we know that you are a teacher come from God. He may have been sent by the Pharisees. He may have been sent by the Sanhedrin to investigate. Whatever the case, he makes the statement, teacher, rabbi, we know you are come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And one would think that an initial statement like this may be followed up with maybe another statement, something else he'd want to say to Jesus, or maybe even a question. Because you're this teacher, because of what you do, let me, pour, let me ask and, and draw some of your incredible wealth, that, uh, knowledge that you have. But no. You would even think that maybe Jesus would respond in acknowledging and saying, yes. Thank you for acknowledging me, or what is it that I can do for you? But we see Jesus' answer is in some ways quite peculiar. I mean, he responds to a statement. It gives an answer that has nothing to do with what was just said. He says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, just pause here for a little bit, a little bit and let's just consider this. While we can speculate as to the, the, the reasons why Nicodemus is approaching Jesus, it doesn't say that he approaches Jesus to know how one sees the kingdom of God. That's not, it doesn't say that that's exactly why he came to him. Jesus is not answering Nicodemus in response to this particular question. But Jesus' response seems to get straight to the heart of this whole interaction. Even in Nicodemus' response, he says, well, hold up, I... That's not what I'm asking. That's not what I'm interested in. But if we look back in our, in our Bibles, just to a couple verses before that we looked at last week, what does Jesus say? Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knows where Nicodemus is at. He knows what's going on in Nicodemus' heart. And this appears to be the reason why he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And it seems that this really catches Nicodemus unaware. And he responds in the only way that he can, with, with human wisdom and logic. Verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, given the immediate situation, it, it seems like a pretty fair response. But Nicodemus, you're missing the point. 
Yes, you cannot get back into the mother's womb. You cannot be born a second time physically. But again, rather than, than giving him an answer or, or expounding and, and saying, this is, let, let me just expound that for you. No, no, he just reiterates the point. Jesus reiterates. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now, let's just consider what it is that Jesus is saying here. It deserves some attention because we need to be clear on on what it's not saying. This is not a, a reference to baptism. Some have suggested that it's referring to John the Baptist and the baptism that he was offering or the need to be baptized in order to be saved, which the Roman Catholic Church wrongly teaches. If needing to be baptized were the case for seeing and entering the kingdom of God, then that means that we are saved not by faith alone, but by some kind of work which is contradictory to what we see throughout the Scriptures. Some have suggested that this is maybe referring to the the physical birth and regeneration, that being born of water is a metaphor to physical birth, water being the reference to the amniotic fluid. So they're saying that Jesus is saying that you need to be born physically and spiritually. Verse 6 in our our very passage is often cited when Jesus contrasts this physical and spiritual birth. However, the fact that Jesus makes the contrast, that he's, he's separating physical and spiritual birth, suggests that this doesn't actually have anything to do with the physical birth in order to see the kingdom. And then the final view, and this is the one that I personally hold to, is this. This is referring to spiritual birth alone, that this is actually a double metaphor. The reason being that in other places in this gospel, in the gospel of John, we see water being used as a metaphor for the Spirit. In chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. In that same chapter, a couple verses later, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then lastly, we also see in uh, chapter 7, verse 37 onwards, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is using two different words to, to show the same thing. We see in our text, Jesus is using these, these parallel expressions related to seeing and entering the kingdom of God. Born again, which can also be translated to born from above, born of the spirits, born of water and spirits. If all of these expressions are synonymous or they parallel each other, then to be born again or to be born from above or born of water and the spirits ultimately mean the same thing as born of the Spirit. And as we we come back and and, and continue to look at our passage here, look again at verses 5 and 6. In response to Nicodemus' confusion of how one is born again, Jesus says this. He says, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Poor old Nicodemus. I mean, he's not getting this at all. 
And maybe you're, you're sitting here today or you're watching at home and you're feeling just as perplexed as Nicodemus is. If that is true for you, that's okay. Let me encourage you. Take comfort from Jesus' words here in verses 7 and 8. He says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What's his point? When you look at the wind, you can't tell where it's coming from or, or where it's going, but you can see and you can experience the effects of the wind. And that's how it is with all that have been born again, of, who have been born of the Spirit. It's interesting to note here that the Greek word for spirit is pneuma. It can mean spirit, breath, or wind. And while that's somewhat coincidental, it helps us see the comparison being made between the wind and the work and the effect of the Spirit. For believers, we may not understand the work of the Spirit perfectly. We may not understand exactly how we are born again and how the Spirit works in that, but we cannot deny the effect that the Spirit has on our lives. It brings us from dark to light. He gives us new life. He causes us to be born again. And again, this may be leaving you with more questions than answers. And if, if that's the case, let me just first say, don't be discouraged. My prayer is that as we continue through the rest of this text today, and as we, especially as we get to the last part, as we consider these questions, things will become clearer for you. But if still not, friends, let me encourage you. Come and chat to us. Come and chat to any of the elders or, or maybe even the person who brought you here today. Reach out to us online even. We would love to engage more with you if you have any questions. Let's continue. Look at verses 9 and 10. Nicodemus says to him, how can these things be? Everything that he, He's so perplexed by what Jesus has said. Just, he has no idea. And Jesus says to him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? I mean, this is another statement that must have just really hit Nicodemus hard. It's just like truth bombs over and over again. I mean, this was a teacher of Israel. This was a, a Pharisee, someone who would have studied the law more than most, studied the Old Testament. If anyone should understand the point, the truths that Jesus is talking about, it should be him. And yet he is blind to these truths. He can't see them. He's lost. Verse 11, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Jesus continues, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus came to make his Father known. He came to testify and bear witness about God, to, to bear witness about the kingdom that is coming. Yet the Pharisees and others did not receive him. In fact, they, they outright reject him, ultimately leading to the cross. Jesus continues saying that if, if, if uh, Nicodemus and, and others fail to understand the earthly things that he's speaking about, like being born again, which is something that is experienced here on earth and is actually the requirement for the entry into the kingdom, how then could he ever hope to understand heavenly things? 
then we need to pause. But, but Jesus, how are you able to speak of these things? How are you able to, to talk about this? What qualifies you? Look there at verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. You see, because Jesus is the one who left heaven, who left the throne of heaven, came to earth, descended to earth as a man, he is able, he is qualified to speak about these things. And just as no one has ascended into heaven and come back to give revelation about God, only Jesus at this time was the one who had this revelation. It was only him who was qualified. That means that Christ and Christ alone is the only one who is able to speak of such truths. This whole chapter, this whole, this whole section of Scripture that we're looking at finishes off with verses 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is referring to uh, the book of Numbers. Uh, we see this account in chapter 21, verses 4 to 9. This is a time when the Israelites were, were in the desert. They uh, had left um, Egypt. They were wandering. Uh, they were going through all sorts of things. They were rebelling against God. They were crying out and grumbling against Him. And God punishes them. He, he, he judges them. He sends fiery serpents into their camp, and people are bitten and die. And this caused the, the people to, to come to Moses, to cry out, to repent, saying, Moses, pray for us. So Moses prays for the people to God, and God tells Moses to make a fiery serpent of bronze, to put it on a pole, that whoever sees it, even if they've been bitten, they will live. So we see here Jesus alluding to something that is going to happen again in the future. And that's where our text ends. We have Nicodemus approaching Christ saying that, well, you must be sent from God. We have Jesus saying to Nicodemus, well, you need to be born again. And really, Nicodemus, you should be the one who knows exactly what I'm talking about. And we have a snake on a pole. So what do we do with this? Where do we go from here? And for the rest of the time, we're going to just ask and seek to answer four questions that, Lord willing, will shed light on everything that we've looked at so far. The first question you want to look at is, what does it mean to be born again? When Nicodemus addresses Jesus, the first thing that Jesus says to him is, you must be born again. What does that mean? Well, exactly that. It means to be born new, to be made new. It's not, just, it's not being born of the flesh, but born of the Spirit, being born from above. <clears throat> there is this idea of being made new. The th good theological word there is regeneration. And it's a pretty important thing because Jesus tells us that unless we are born again, we cannot see, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. Meaning that we cannot in any way enjoy the privileges, enjoy the blessings, enjoy the rest, enjoy the peace, enjoy the joy. We cannot be in the presence of Christ. We cannot be in the presence of our Father in heaven unless we are born again. God and sin cannot dwell together. We are born in sin. We are sinful and our sin separates us from God. It blinds us spiritually. We are dead in our, in our trespasses. We need to be made new. 
We need to be born again. And God's justice demands that in order for that to happen, our sin needs to be atoned for. So if being born again means that we are made new, that our sin has been atoned for, well, the next question is, how? How are you born again? Being born again is not something that you attain to. It's not something that you somehow achieve over a lifetime or, or many lifetimes of good living. It's not something that you simply will into existence. Being born again is not ba- be there because of the Christian family that you were born into. Now, don't get me wrong. Being born into a Christian family is a, is a wonderful blessing. To be born to parents who, who love the Lord and seek to, to raise their children in a way that, that honors God in the fear and instruction of the Lord in, in a local healthy church context is a wonderful gift. But that doesn't mean you're born again. It has nothing to do with the biblical knowledge that you've accumulated over the years. It's not based on the kind of life that you live. None of these things no matter how hard you try, no matter how much effort you put in, none of these things cause you to be born again. It's not something that you can somehow earn. I mean, if we look at the example of Nicodemus, if anyone could have possibly hoped to stand before Jesus and say, I'm ready to see, I'm surely I can see and enter the kingdom of God, it would have been him. Born into God's chosen people, the people of Israel. A Pharisee, someone who knew the law. He was a ruler of the Jews. He would have been able to check all those boxes of religiosity. All the ways that one would think that this is how you earn your way to heaven. And yet Jesus' first words to him are this. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So how are we born again? Well, first thing we see, it's, it's the work of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that causes us to be born again. We may not know how He works, but we do know that He does, and we do know that it is through the Spirit that we have new life, that He somehow confronts us with our sin, of how we have rejected a holy and righteous God and chosen to live our lives on our own terms, chosen to be the master of our fate, chosen to be the captain of our soul. He opens our eyes to the seriousness of our situation because it is serious. And he opens our eyes to the realization that God demands that our sin, our rejection of him be punished. And no matter how hard we try, no matter what we do, we cannot meet those requirements. The payment that he demands for us. And no, no, to be born again, we need someone to pay that penalty on our behalf. To take on the punishment that we deserve. We need to repent and trust not in ourselves because there is nothing that we can do to be born from above. As you sit here today, as you, you watch from home, let me ask you the question, are you born again? Ask yourself the question, am I, as I'm sitting here, am I born again? What am I trusting in? I'm not talking about whether you, you raised a hand at camp or at a prayer meeting or you walked an aisle. That's not what saves us. But how do you know? How do you know if you are born again? 
And that's the next question for us to consider. How do I know again? again? If you have been born from above, if you have been regenerated, then there has to be a change. Something has to be different. When one is born again, they are not the same person. We see this even in the life of Nicodemus. I mean, after Christ was crucified, this man who was coming in the secrecy of night is then going to Jesus' tomb with this 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe. Publicly being identified with this man who's going into the grave with something that would have cost a lot of money. You see, when you're born again, your desires change. The things of this world that you once found joy in suddenly don't have the same appeal to you. You feel repulsed by them. There is an increasing hunger for God's word, a desire to be with the people of God, to be in, in Christian community. The sin that God finds repulsive, you now find repulsive. And just as we don't see the wind, but we're acutely aware of the effects that it has around us, so it is with those who are born of the Spirit. You see, no one who, who is born of the Spirit can make a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Friends, are you sitting here today? Are you watching from home? Claiming to be born again, and yet your life doesn't look any different to how it looked before. The sins you indulged in day in and day out are still the sins that you come home to every single night. Friends, if this is you, please not, I'm not saying this to, to condemn or to point the finger, but I'm saying this because it is God's grace that you are confronted with this truth. That the fact that you are sitting here this, this afternoon, either here or online, is grace that He is confronting you, holding out hope for you that you would not be left in this state. And if this is you, don't keep it to yourself. Don't try and hide it. Don't try and fake it to make it. You can only pretend for so long. Then the burden of trying to live a life that you cannot live becomes too much. Sin increases. And the sin that you are engaging in will ultimately come to light, bringing with it dire consequences both in this life and the next. Again, let me encourage you, reach out to someone. Don't keep this to yourself. Connect with us here online. We would love to come alongside you to, to walk with you and, and point you to the hope and the, the rest that is found in being born again, that is found in Christ. So if I am born again, if I've seen evidences of it, or, or maybe I'm not yet born again, Maybe I'm hearing this for the first time, or even if I'm hearing this for the hundredth time, there's one last question that we, we, we have to ask. Where does Jesus fit into all of this? Quite simply, he's the one at the very center. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert that whoever looked at that serpent would live, Christ Jesus was lifted up on that cross that whoever looks upon him, whoever trusts in him will have eternal life. 
God in his holiness and his righteousness demands justice, as we've said. And there is nothing that we can do to, to meet that justice. But Christ came and lived that perfect life, obeyed God perfectly, perfectly sinless, and freely went to the cross to take on the penalty for our sin. Friends, that is glorious news. And just as he is lifted up, we can gaze upon and we can look at the one who has earned our salvation. It's not about good living. It's not about the amount of effort that you put in. It's not your family. It's not your work. It is Christ. We need someone to, take, to make this transaction on our behalf, and that is Christ. Jesus says to Nicodemus, and he says to us, you must be born again. And that starts and ends Entrusting with what Christ has done for us. Maybe one more question to ask. Is your hope in Christ alone? Started with this, quest, this, this phrase, yes, we can. Friends, the reality is, is that no, we can't. We may marvel at our worldly accomplishments but ultimately they count for nothing when it comes to taking care of our greatest need. Looking to yourself for hope, looking to your own efforts only leaves you in more trouble. Friends, let's, let us look to Christ. Let our hope be in Him alone. Let's pray. Father God, we marvel at your grace. We marvel at your, your word, a word that oftentimes, Lord, is, is hard to understand. We, we cried with Nicodemus, how can one be born again? And yet, Lord, you have made a way. You have made a way for us to be reconciled to you, not in our own strength, but because of what Christ has done. And Father, I pray that the truth of who Christ is, the truth of his perfect life, the truth of his perfect sacrifice, Lord, would fill our hearts with hope, would fill our hearts with joy. And Lord, for those who are maybe sitting here who haven't yet put their faith and trust in him, I pray that today would be the day. Confront them with their sin. Confront them with their need. Lord, may they leave here today with their hope in Christ alone. Father, we don't pray this for uh, ourselves in any measure that we might uh, make a name for ourselves, that Redeemer Church might be making a name for itself. No, no, Lord, we pray that all of this would be done for the praise and glory of your name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.